0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I believe we actually have Carol Brazel with us this morning. There she is. Carol's right over there, one of our missionaries in Belgium. Uh, It's good to have you with us, Carol, and also some very, very exciting news Uh, this morning. I am uh, privileged to uh, announce that three uh, young kids this morning are going to be getting baptized after services today. Uh, Joshua, Annie, and Tim Trigg are all going to be getting baptized. Give it up for them. Very, very exciting. So, if you want to stick around, we'd love to have you there. It'll just be down the hallway, and that'll be shortly after services. So, very exciting. And uh, this is a, a pretty great morning to be baptized because, uh, as I um, said a couple weeks ago, this is New Year's Day. Uh, this is New Year's Day on the Christian calendar. The first Sunday of Advent is the very first day of the church year. So, uh, Happy New Year. Uh, According to the church calendar and uh, so if you've been with us uh, for the past few years you might uh, know kind of how Advent works but if you're new to the springs or new to uh, Christianity Advent is these four weeks leading up to the celebration of Christmas where we uh, prepare our hearts and prepare our communities for the coming of the Messiah. And so we light candles, as we did this morning, the hope candle every week, and we sing songs of hope and expectation, and uh, we prepare ourselves, we prepare the way for Jesus to come again into the world. And so this is an exciting time to be here. We've got uh, Advent guides for you up here at the communion tables that we'll be coming to later. If you want to pick those up, there's scriptures in there, uh, devotionals that you can use with your families or your connections groups or just on your own personal devotional time. So I hope you'll use those resources. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray together before we get started. God, our Father, we come before you. And we, uh, we pray this morning, Lord, a prayer that um, many of us pray throughout the year, but, that, God, that we pray with a little bit more um, focus and clarity this morning. And that prayer is, Lord, come quickly. Lord, we ask you to come quickly into our world, come quickly into this church, and come quickly into our hearts, God. We, we praise you, Lord, and I ask you this morning for the gift of preaching, for the gift of your Holy Spirit upon all of us, that we would um, hear a word from you. God, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. A couple years ago, there was a movie nominated for Best Picture called Room. Room. And if you didn't see it, it told the story of a young woman named Joy who was abducted by a man and held captive for seven years. And while in captivity, Joy actually gives birth to a son named Jack. And so the first half of the movie room kind of tells the story of Joy and Jack in captivity trying to survive in this little space that they refer to simply as room. And as the movie goes on, Joy and Jack, we actually get to see them escape this room and we we get to have this kind of joyful, wonderful moment, an exhilarating moment of watching them escape. But it kind of tugs your heart back very quickly. Because you go straight from this exhilarating, exciting escape, this liberation for Joy to the reality of how difficult it's going to be to reintegrate herself into the world uh, that joy gets back into the real world the regular world and finds that it is not the same world that she left she finds that her parents who were wondering for seven years where she was what her fate was are now divorced and her mom has, has taken on a new husband and Joy has this, this new child, and, and she enters into this, this old world and, and returns home, but quickly finds that, that sadness and sorrow and despair follow her from captivity, even into freedom. She finds that, that the world that she's been freed to is not itself free from pain and suffering. And I find some incredible parallels in, in the story of Joy and Jack in Room with the nation of Israel. Uh, because as some of you may know, uh, in 587 B.C., Babylon, the empire of Babylon, came in and captured and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And they took the Israelites, they, they scattered them among nations, and, and they put them in exile and, and held them captive in, in Babylon. And so Israel was forced, like Joy, into captivity. But Israel, also like Joy in the movie room, escapes. And they're able to go back to Jerusalem. A remnant of them are able to return home. But again, like Joy, they find that their home is not what it once was. That that the, the sorrow and despair and trauma from captivity have followed them back into freedom and and they try to figure out what it means to, to be free again and that's the context of our passage this morning Isaiah 64 is typically dated, written after the exile. So, so some of the Israelites have been able to return back and try to rebuild this kingdom that had crumbled around them. And so that's the backdrop that I want us to have uh, when we dive back into our text here. Let's, let's go ahead and read just verses 1 through 3 once more of Isaiah 64. It says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. "...so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence." So we got these first few verses that talk about Yahweh tearing open the heavens and coming down, coming down to act again in a mighty way, uh, to perform these awesome deeds once again. And chapter 64 is actually kind of the middle of this longer lament um, that goes back into chapter 63 of Isaiah. And what we find, if we go back to Isaiah 63 is that these awesome deeds that Isaiah is referring to are the deeds of the Exodus. So when when God came down and liberated the Israelites from Egypt, when God uh, demonstrated his power over Pharaoh, and so Isaiah is saying, God, come back and, and do an Exodus deed. God, do one of those mighty Exodus miracles. That's what we need, God. We need exodus deeds to restore our nation to its former glory, uh, to restore us to that golden age of Israel. Uh, Some of you might know, probably not many of you know, that I, uh, when it comes to college football, am a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan. Tough to admit right now. It's it's been rough, uh, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hope <come. laughs> exactly hope does come but I remember actually uh, the, the glory days for Nebraska uh, I remember the glory days I, I'm old enough to remember 1997 when, when let's call it the Tom Osborne era uh, when, when they marched against Peyton Manning and his Tennessee Volunteers, won the national championship, that was their third national championship in four years, their third undefeated season in four years, all led by coach Tom Osborne. That was the golden era, right, Riley? You weren't even, yeah, you don't remember. But that was the golden age, the, the Tom Osborne era. And, you know, In fact, he was such a popular football coach that when he got done with his tenure as head football coach, the state of Nebraska sent him to the U.S. Congress for three terms. That is a powerful, a popular head football coach. And how many Nebraska fans do you think would absolutely go berserk for the return of Tom Osborne to the head coaching position. How many Nebraska fans would absolutely just clamor for Tom Osborne, the mighty Tom Osborne, to return to Zion and and return Nebraska to its former glory? In fact, I can can hear the words of our passage this morning on their tongues. I, I I can hear them saying, oh, Tom, that you would tear up our current playbook and come down so that the Big Ten would quake at your presence (laughs) to make your name known to your adversaries so that the NCAA might tremble at our team once again. That is how I hear the words of Isaiah here. Isaiah, like Nebraska, is longing for this golden age, this this gilded era uh, when, when they were a glorious nation, when God did awesome deeds, when he shook the mountains and rattled the nations. That's what Isaiah is calling for. He's saying, God, come down. But also like the Cornhuskers, who one could argue, have suffered because they have strayed from Tom's ways and Tom's playbook. <laughs> Israel has also suffered because they've strayed from God's ways and God's playbook. You know, some of the, the tragedy that has come upon Israel has, has just befallen them, uh, not of their own accord. But others of it, Isaiah 64, is very clear, has been actually connected to their sin. Uh, So Isaiah 64, let's look at verses 6 and 7. He says, We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. This passage is a reckoning for Israel. Israel is going to have to get honest about the state of their nation, about the state of their sin and rebellion in this passage in order to see where they're going and where their hope lies and as I mentioned it's uh, it's New Year's Day according to the Christian calendar the church year and New Year's Day is a day for us to look ahead right Uh, it's a day to look to the future think about goals and opportunities and fresh starts but it's also a day to look back New Year's Day is also a day of reflection for us, a day to, to look back over the past year and to think about what has gone well, what has gone poorly, what's different, what's better, what's worse. And so I imagine many of us will, will have a moment like that on January 1st or this morning where we, we think back over the past year, and I would imagine that uh, many of us, some of us, will have some, uh, some things worth celebrating, uh, some, some good things that have come this past year, some success and uh, opportunities and growth to be grateful for. But I would imagine that also many of us will look over the past year and we'll see some things to lament. You know, we'll look, look back and we'll see a regret. You know, we'll see a struggle that came to a head. And we'll see a sin or a sin struggle that, that we would give anything to, to take away. Uh, we'll see a grief, maybe that we're still mourning, a loss. You know, and I would imagine that, that most of us will probably look back and, and see a mixture of both. You know, we'll see some good things, some difficult things, but it sure is the difficult things that seem to stand out sometimes. You know, it, it sure is the, the sin strapped to your ankle, you know, the anxiety crouching at the door, uh, the fear and depression hovering above you, the, the grief and, and worry welling up within. It's many of those things that, that seem to stick out. And if you look back over the last year and you see some of those things, you might be tempted to shout alongside Isaiah, God, tear open the heavens. God, come down. God, do some of those exodus-like deeds. Intervene in my life. God, cleanse me from unrighteousness. Heal this, this broken, open wound. God, come down and do something. And if that's you this morning, if if you're here and you're you're bewildered or you're uh, suffering, worried, skeptical, I want to offer you three images of hope. I want to offer you three images from Isaiah, and specifically three images of God uh, that we can take with us this Advent season as we begin to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus again. And so I want to start with with the first image, and that is God as Father. Uh, So Isaiah 64 gives us a, a pretty nuanced picture of God, actually. Uh, Because it actually starts with kind of this divine warrior-like language. You know, let's look at the first couple verses again. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake and the fire kindles brushwood and causes water to boil to. Make known your name to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. This is that that kind of image of a a divine warrior that that Israel knows well. And and frankly, that Israel needed to know well. Because Israel needed to know that they served a powerful God. Israel needed to know that that God would intervene in their lives. That he was more powerful than Pharaoh. Uh, That he was going to be victorious. That this was a God that would liberate them from oppression. And so we get a lot of this, this imagery throughout the Old Testament, but look, Isaiah doesn't stop there. If we move down to, to verse 8 of Isaiah 64, he says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. Now, to most of us sitting here, the image of God as Father is pretty unremarkable. You know, nothing could be really more common. In fact, you could argue that that's our kind of primary metaphor for thinking about God is fatherhood. But it's not quite the case in the Old Testament. It's not the most common metaphor used. In fact, Jesus in the first seven chapters of Matthew uh, talks about God and, and addresses God as father more times than the entire Old Testament. Just the first seven chapters of Matthew. You know, So this isn't a very common image of God in the Old Testament, but here we are. Isaiah 64, he says, yet, O Lord, you are our Father. And suddenly, the, the tearing open of a new heavens, the tearing open of the heavens to come down, has a brand new context. Suddenly, this isn't just the divine victorious warrior God. This is a father trying to reach his children. This is a father tearing open the heavens, knocking down doors, breaking through walls, getting past any barrier to get to that child. It is a parent lifting a car off of the baby pinned underneath. This is a God who goes after his children. This is God as Father. My dad used to, in high school with his buddy Keith, have this fake fighting kind of routine that they would do where um, they would see the other person and they would kind of grab one of them and start to kind of fake punch them, and they got so good at it, if you can say good, uh, that one the other, the victim would kind of throw up their hands and they would hit the palms, so you got that kind of fist on flesh sound, you know, so it it sounded and looked very convincing to bystanders, and so they used to do this, and my dad graduated from high school, and he was uh, visiting his family's house a couple years after that, and Keith was over, and they were on the porch hanging out, and the assistant football coach started driving by. And Denny, the football coach, was kind of in on it. He knew this was a thing they did, and so they shouted at him some words to egg him on. And he screeches the car to a halt, and he opens up the door and grabs my dad and kind of throws him on the hood and starts, you know, pretend beating on him. And it couldn't have been more than a couple seconds before my dad sees this figure coming up over the football coach and grabbing him, like, around the neck, tearing him down to the ground, screaming and slapping and hitting this huge assistant football coach. And my dad realizes very quickly that it's his mom. (laughs) (laughs) And the kicker of it all is that she was eight months pregnant. My dad has eight brothers and sisters. She was eight months pregnant with his younger brother on top of this football coach just hit, pounding him into the ground. And, and my dad is like, no, it, it's fake. He's explaining it to her. And she starts crying, and he feels, he feels terrible. And I think that was the end of the fake fighting, so. <laughs> but that's the love of a parent. You know, that is the love of God as father who would do anything, who would cross any border, uh, breach any boundary, attack any assistant football coach, eight months pregnant (laughs) to get to his children. And that is God as father in Isaiah 64. Uh, But but Isaiah doesn't stop at father. Uh, Isaiah moves on and, and he gives us also the image of God as artist. God is artist. If you continue on in verse 8, he says, Yet, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. You know, God is not just mighty victor, he's not just protective, loving father. God is artist. And if God is artist, then that means that God as creator makes beautiful things and God also cares about beauty. God cares about beautiful things from the the expanse, the majestic expanse of the Grand Canyon to that, that little cracked ornament hanging on your tree right now. God cares about beautiful things. And if God cares about beautiful things and makes beautiful things, then we are His magnum opus. His, his most wonderful work of art is us, is humanity. You know, we're, we're God's, His ninth symphony, we're His starry night, His statue of David. You know, because we are His image bearers. We reflect that original beauty that, that finds its source and its essence in Him. But if we're God's magnum opus, if we're His greatest work of art, we also have to realize in Isaiah 64 that we are God's restoration project. We're also God's restoration project. Something has gone wrong with God's greatest piece of artwork. You know, if we're a painting hanging on a wall, we've been vandalized, we've been broken, we've been graffitied. And so God's restoration project is to take us, to take all all those sins, all those deficiencies, to take every wound and to take us into his studio and, and, and carefully and beautifully and diligently begin to sanctify us, square inch by square inch. To begin to restore us to that former glory and beauty reflected in him. That is God as artist. God as the potter and we as the clay. And there's one final image I want to leave you with this morning. To take as we begin this season of Advent. Of preparing the way. And, uh, and it, to read verse 1 one final time. It says, oh that you would tear open the heavens and come down. But, but how does God answer this cry? You know, how does God answer Isaiah's plea to come down? And I actually think the answer is found previously in Isaiah. It's actually back in Isaiah chapter 7 where Isaiah is talking to King Ahaz. And he says, hey, ask the Lord for a sign. And it can be as deep as Sheol and it can be as high as heaven. Ask for a sign. And then Isaiah says this, therefore... The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. You know, for all the, the shaking mountains, and the burning forests, and the boiling oceans, and the rattling nations, and the trembling earth, when God comes to earth, He comes not with an infantry, but as an infant. God comes, not with an infantry, but as an infant. God comes in the helpless, humble, little form of a baby in the incarnation of Jesus the Messiah. In the incarnation of Jesus, the warrior comes through the womb. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the father comes through the son and in the incarnation of Jesus Christ Church the artist comes through the most beautiful possible creation a little baby that's God's answer that's God's ripping open the heavens that's his shaking the mountains is the Messiah the, the promised child, the, the child that is named Emmanuel because in this child, God is with us. That's how God comes. And this Advent season, we, we prepare the way and as we prepare the way, we think of the way that God came the first time in that humble, gentle form of a little child. And so that, that child that humility and gentleness, that is the salve for every wound. That is the restoration project. That is the beauty, the beauty seen in Jesus Christ that we repeat and rehearse every year, every season of Advent. We remember when He first came and we we resolve to prepare the way again with our own acts of beauty with our own acts of justice and love and protection. That's our father, that's our artist, and that is the infant that comes in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't experienced that tender mercy of the Christ child, I wanna invite you to do that this morning. I wanna invite you to, to experience that mercy of Jesus Christ who became vulnerable who tore open the heavens and would do anything to reach you, anything. Go ahead and come forward this morning if you want to receive that, church, as we stand and praise God together.